and welcome visitors. If you are, in fact, a visitor today, we're happy that you're with us and that you chose the good part to be with us today here at church. There's many things you could do on a Sunday morning besides come to church, but you chose to be here, and that choice speaks volumes as far as God is concerned. So welcome to church and welcome to Harvest Church. Amen. I'd like to just spend a moment and uh, give you a good report for the summer. Of course, you know that this church has been very actively involved in helping us for many, many years. Again, the generosity of this church is is uh, so commendable. Uh, we have been, I go to churches much larger than this many times, and uh, the level of generosity here even exceeds churches much, much larger than yours. So I just want to let you know that we sure appreciate everything you do to help with the prayers and the finances that you enable us to uh, carry with us overseas. Last summer, we had three missions tours. I know over the years, numbers of people from this church have participated in those. And we are now doing three a year because of the, the interest and the uh, demand for such. You know, it started out years ago, just one every summer. Now we have three. So we had one in June, we had one in July, and then we had one in August. And so people from all over the country came at these different times, depending upon their schedule. And we were able to lead to the Lord uh, over 6,300 people to Jesus in these crusades. Over 6,300 souls were saved in these events, as well as over 700 people healed who came to us after we prayed and they said, Either they were completely healed or they saw noticeable physical improvement immediately after prayer, over 700 people. So your prayers and your support help us do these things. And I'd like to also uh, encourage you that if you can, please plan to come on one of these. You know, we're having three of them next summer. Uh, the dates are already set, one in June, one in July, and one in August. So if you can come and would like to participate with us, we would sure love to have you come along and join us for these outreach events where God can use you to do these things for him. So again, praise the Lord for that good news. Praise God for that. And um, also I was talking to pastors Mike and Kathy last night. God has opened up a door for us uh, in the Philippine military, the armed forces of the Philippines. It was not something we were looking for, but something God enabled us to be a part of uh, because of the change in administration over the past several months, the new president, which if you've been following the news, is a very interesting fellow, very colorful with his commentary. Uh, but he has uh, uh, dedicated his ministry to the eradication of drugs and drug trafficking in the Philippines. So fine, okay, praise God. Well, along the way, what he's done is he's instituted policies that have basically uh, encouraged hundreds of thousands of drug addicts and drug pushers to surrender. And I won't go into all the details of it today. This would be not really the form for that. But the point is, uh, from the time he took office, which was June the 30th, that was his official day of inauguration, over 635,000 people have surrendered. They were drug addicts or drug pushers, uh, basically because he gave them an ultimatum that if they have a 24-hour window to surrender, no prosecution will be applied against you. We will not arrest you. We will not, uh, you know put you in jail, you know, we can help you put your life back together. If you let that window pass, that 24-hour window, we will hunt you down and kill you. This has an amazing effect on people. 
And so as a result, 635,000 people have surrendered. And now they've got all these people, and they're trying to figure out what to do with them all. So they've turned to the ministers, like me and others, to help. So they are building rehabilitation centers for these recovering drug addicts, these people that have surrendered their lives to the Lord. And they've instituted uh, programs, of which I am a part of now, where we can go in there and we can start talking to these kids. Most of them are kids, uh, early 20s, mid-20s, or even less than, uh, about Jesus. They want these people born again. They want these people saved. The president is a born-again believer. And he wants these people born again and turned on to Jesus. So he's turning to us. As a result, I've been appointed as an international chaplain to the Philippine Army. And uh, international chaplain, you can salute me later. Praise the Lord. Uh, really, honestly, um, in all seriousness, I hold the rank of colonel. I'm a commissioned officer in the military there. And uh, it's all underground. It's all covert. You know, don't salute me publicly because there are enemies out there, enemies of the state. But uh, anyway, it's an, it's an open door, and we're looking forward to having an opportunity to lead all these people, or as many as we can, to the Lord. Amen. So that's just a wonderful development that we never saw coming, but God has ways of opening doors that you never knew could be opened. And so that's all there, too. So it's a wonderful work taking place overseas, and uh, you're a part of it. Amen. Whether or not you ever go, if you support us in prayer and finances, you are there in you know, in our stead, or we're there in your stead, praise the Lord. So, okay, good news to report, amen. How many have their Bibles or their Bible app or their Bible device, whichever you prefer these days? Uh, I'd like you to start with me this morning by turning to uh, Isaiah chapter number 54, and we're going to read beginning in the 13th verse, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. This will be down to the end of verse 17. Some of this you've heard but some of it perhaps you have not heard because it's always important to read verses in context. If you just pull verses out of context, many times you will misunderstand what's being said. So we start with the 13th verse. Now, parents, this is a great verse to start with. If you have children, pay attention. It says here, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Verse 14, in righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, verse 15 says, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. Verse 17, this is the one charismatics are very familiar with. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. I want you to notice in verse 14, it says, in righteousness, we shall be established. In verse 17, it says, our righteousness is from the Lord. All right, let's start there. First of all, if you accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, you became the righteousness of God in Christ. Old things have been passed away. All things became new on the day you accepted Jesus. All the sins, all the mistakes, all the mess from before has been washed away by the blood of Jesus, and we start over just like a newborn baby. Has no past, 
It's a newborn baby. It has no past. It starts fresh from the day of delivery, so to speak. And so here we're talking about what we have and what we can become and what we can do because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. All right. Now we use verses like this. We talk about verses like this, but we don't understand what this enables us to do and what it enables us to, to be in terms of who we are and who Jesus died to make us or to enable us to become like that. All right. Because it talks about in verse 14, the fact that because we're righteous, we need to understand that there will be three things that come against us, but these three things do not need to destroy our lives the way the enemy would intend for them to notice in verse 14 in righteousness, you shall be established you shall be far from oppression and from terror, for it shall not come near you, for you shall not fear. I want you to notice in verse 14, there are three things mentioned, oppression, fear, terror. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what's going on in the world today when it comes to oppression, fear, and terror. Fear is driving this planet, and each and every day, the issue of terror becomes more and more a part of our day-to-day living in our day-to-day life, okay? I just popped online this morning before I came over here. I was unaware that on Friday night there was another terrorist attack at a mall. I don't know if you're aware of this. If you've been following the news, I don't usually do that, but God made me or had me check this out. I just pulled this up, you know. Uh, I pulled this off the Internet, you know. It's all over the place. But mall shooting suspect was zombie-like when arrested officials say, this is a man who walked into a mall in Washington State. I know where this mall is. I've been there. He walked into the mall and walked into a Macy's department store, and there were a bunch of ladies at the cosmetic stand, you know, as the ladies, you know, they have the cosmetic person, and people are going to come in and sit there and have their face painted and all the other things that they do. And he walked up and just shot five people with a rifle. And then they've since caught him, and, you know, they're going through the whole vetting process. But it's another example of what's going on in the world today. You can't go anywhere without the fear of being attacked. It used to be that this was something far, far away and was something that was not, you know, uh, germane to where we're living. But those days are long gone. Okay, this is just another example of people just going about their daily affairs. In this particular case, one of the one of the people who were killed was the lady behind the counter, the one that was putting the makeup on the on the ladies that were there, and then the others were the the customers. And he just walked up and shot them, killed them. Uh, and so the point being, oppression, fear, and terror are all around us. You have to understand some things about the world in which we live. In the fact that we are now the righteousness of God, notice what he says. Oppression, fear, and terror shall not come near you. But notice, indeed, verse 15, they shall surely assemble. And we're living in it. We know it's going to surely assemble. We're living in it day by day now, and it's going to get worse. They shall surely assemble, but not because of God. God says, it's not from me. I'm not the one sending the oppression. I'm not the one sending the fear, and I'm not the one creating the terror. But there is an author of all these things. We know who his name is. His name is Satan. And in different ways, using different people, these are the three things you're going to see more and more in these last days. You need to know some things about how to manage the fear, how to live in a world of terror. 
without allowing it to usurp authority in your life and and causing you to kind of hunker down and get back in your spiritual charismatic cave somewhere and hope it all blows over and you know the, these these you know Sunday morning Christians these charismatic stealth believers who are afraid to say anything afraid to do anything because my god somebody might be offended listen we got to move beyond all of that Okay, we're going to be advancing under fire. It's a world at war, and you need to know now it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse until Jesus returns. This being the case, we need to understand some things. First of all, God says in verse 16, I've created the blacksmith who blows coals in the fire, who brings forth instruments for his work. I've created the spoiler to destroy. This is a reference to Satan. Okay, God didn't create him this way. God is simply saying, I'm responsible for him. Don't worry about him. Okay, I'll take care of him. You do your part, and I'll take care of you. You do what you can, and I'll do what you can't. Because he goes on in the next verse to say, no weapon formed by the spoiler can prosper against you. Who's the you? The righteous. Read the verses in context. Who's the you? Us, the righteous. Now, the sinner is on his own. The sinner being not the righteousness of God, has no divine protection afforded to him or her. They're on their own. They're at the mercy of the enemy, and he doesn't have any. On the other hand, we as believers, okay, even though these things will surely assemble against us, they will not prosper against us because God will make sure that weapons formed against us shall not prosper. And every tongue that rises against us in judgment, we, notice we, not God. God doesn't do the condemning. We do it. We have the righteousness and the authority to shut this down in our lives so that we don't have to live in fear of the oppression and the fear and the terror. We don't have to. Okay. In the Philippines, we travel in and out of military hot zones all the time. Okay. And we travel weapons hot, meaning to say we're armed and we're loaded and we're ready for confrontation wherever we go. Not wherever, but in many places we go, we're armed. And, you know, we have military escort and they're in plain clothes. You know, we're ready for what comes down the road because of where we work. But now in the world in which we live, that scenario is being created everywhere. Just go to the mall, go to Macy's, and you may risk your life. You don't know. I mean, the people who went there to have their lipstick painted had no idea they'd be in heaven or hell by noon. But they are either in heaven or hell because of what happened at Macy's and which may happen in Norfolk or anywhere else for that matter. It's just, it's the world in which we live. That being said, I want you to help, help me understand how we are to manage the fear. You're not going to get rid of it because Satan is here and he's the author of it. And as long as he's here, there's going to be fear and it's going to be ratcheted up as the world continues to fall apart at the seams. Okay, Pastor Mike and I were talking yesterday. You know, the whole thing is coming apart in America, all over the world. You, you, you know, you read the headlines, you just can't believe what you're reading. We used to talk about this stuff in the 80s, the end times, and, you know, the Antichrist, and the, you know, the alignment of the planets, and all the other things we talked about in the early 80s, if you were around at that time. You know, we had no idea what was coming down the road. The Internet wasn't even invented back then. I can remember when fax machines were the big rage. And that was mid-1980s, you know, where it took an, oh, you took an entire day to send a fax because it was new technology. You know, they didn't know how to do it much. But I can remember those days. Now, you know, you pick up the cell phone. I can call the Philippines now and talk to the people on the other side of the world in a matter of 30 seconds. And it's a clear connection most of the time. 
Point being, this it's a different planet now. It's a different ball field. It's a different game we're playing, and you have to understand the world in which you live. Most Christians that I know are no different than the unbelievers who have no divine protection afforded to them. They act like, think like, talk like, and live in fear just like everybody else. That is not the way we're supposed to live our lives. Can anybody say amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Look with me, if you would, at Mark 9. Mark 9, verse 19. Mark 9 and the 19th verse. Now, let's begin with the 14th verse. Let's back up a few verses. Okay, Mark 9 and the 14th verse, so we can read the whole story here. Okay, when he came to the disciples, that's Jesus, the he here is Jesus, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, they greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Verse 19, Jesus answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground, wallowed, and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked the father in verse 21, how long has this been happening to him? The reply, from childhood. And often he throws him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now listen to this, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus replies, verse 23, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. The answer, verse 24, the father blurts out, he cries out and says with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now that is where most Christians are living today. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's the age old battle in our mind between faith and fear. Help me Lord, I believe, but I'm dealing with unbelief. Help me overcome the fear. Help me overcome the terror. I'm dealing with it. I know I should be walking by faith. I know I should be standing by faith. I know that without faith, you can't please God, but I am struggling with the fear. I'm struggling with the the, the what might happen if you don't show up mentality. This is where most Christians are living right now. Now, let's before we diss the father too quickly here, let's give him some slack. First of all, the father shows up with his demon-possessed child because he's heard about Jesus, okay? He wasn't attending Jesus' weekly Bible study in Galilee. He didn't know who Jesus was. He just kept hearing about this miracle worker from Galilee, the guy that heals people, blind people healed, crippled people are walking, demons are being cast out, and he turns and looks at his son who's got this mute spirit, and wherever the boy goes and wherever the mute spirit wants, he throws him down and throws him into the fire and throws him into the water trying to kill him. You know, and he's got this kid. You think, well, maybe this guy can help my son. So not knowing anything other than what he's heard, he goes to Jesus to ask for help for his child. When he shows up, Jesus isn't there. He's at the top of the mountain with Peter, James, and John communing with God. And Jesus left the nine other disciples at the bottom of the hill and told them to wait for him. So they don't know how long he's going to be gone. Okay, remember, Jesus can't send him a tweet 
Can't send him a Facebook post. Can't send him a text to let him know he's on his way down. They don't know. So the father shows up and says, where's Jesus? And they say, well, he went to the top of the mountain a day or two ago. And we don't know when he's coming back. He might be back this afternoon. He might be up there for a week. We don't know. So the father says, well, I brought my boy here for prayer. I brought my boy for deliverance. I've been hearing about your Jesus, your, your, your master, your, your rabbi, and I need help. You know, look at the kid. You know, the demon throws him in the fire, throws him in the water. I need help. And the disciples say, well, no problem. We've watched Jesus do this. We'll take care of this for you. We, you don't have to wait for him. We, I mean, we, we've been there. We've traveled with him. We've heard him do these things. We know what to do. And so he stands there not knowing any different, not having any reference point other than what he's heard. He stands there and watches nine faith failures in a row. Nine men try and nine men fail to cast that spirit out. Now, if I'm the father, all things being equal, I'm sitting there thinking, well, maybe Jesus isn't all that he's cracked up to be because these are his closest disciples, and I just watched nine of them fail to cast that spirit out. So his faith has been affected. His faith has been damaged, shall I say. And so Jesus shows up at this time and starts asking questions. What's been going on? What is this? What's, what's all this commotion about? And so the father comes forward and says, hey, I brought you my demon-possessed son and blah, blah, blah. And he goes over the whole scenario. But you're dis- I just watched nine of your disciples try and cast that spirit out, and they couldn't do it. So Jesus gets upset. You know, he gets upset with his staff. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long do I have to put up with you people? Bring the child to me. So they do. And then, you know, the father's just, he's, he's trying his best to keep it all together. The father says, you know, he's been, he's been dealing with this from the time he was a child. If you can do the words of doubt, if you can, if you can do anything. Well, you know, because he's just watched nine faith failures. So he's not sure if Jesus can help him because he's just watched nine guys try and fail. So he's saying, if you, the leader of this pack, if you can do something, help us. Jesus replies, if I may paraphrase, it's not a question of what I can do, mister. It's a question of what you believe I can do. All things are possible to him who believes. Then the father replies, well, I'm trying to believe. I came with faith, and now what I've seen, I'm not so sure. I believe, help my unbelief. Listen, when the oppression and the fear and the terror surround you like a flood, you need to remember that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And as such, there should be nothing we have to worry about. We have business on this planet. And if that business is not completed, the devil has no authority to take you off the planet. If you believe that, if you believe that, you know, just because you're born again, that doesn't automatically protect you you have to understand who you are and take your proper place on the front lines knowing that no matter what comes down the road no matter how you're going to get shot at and you will be shot at you will survive and you will maintain your position on the front lines and do what you need to do for the lord and stand before him someday and hear him say well done good and faithful servant is anybody interested i want to hear well done and good and faithful servant i want my life to count for something in here not, you know, just, well, look at the car I have and look at the house I live in and look at my bank account and look at all my, you know, retirement accounts and I'm rich and my silo is full of corn and grain and wheat and barley and whatever. Listen, Jesus said, there's coming a day, okay, you know, when he's talking about the guy who says, look at my barns, they're all filled up. What else can I, what else do I need? And Jesus said, you're a fool. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. Then who's going to own all that stuff in the silo you've spent your life adding up and accumulating? Someone else is going to walk off with that while you're, you know, either in heaven or hell. Point being, we are living in perilous times. We need to understand some things about who we are and what we can do. Can anyone say amen? Amen. 
So what I want to do for the remainder of my time with you this morning is talk about how to manage the fear. You can't get rid of it. You have to manage it. Okay? It's here until, until Jesus comes and throws the devil off the planet. Fear will be amongst us. And terror will continue to rise. You know, the, the mall shootings, the stadium shootings, the bus stop shootings, the bombs blowing up. What was it last week? Bombs in Times Square. Okay, that was last week's terror attack. Now this week it's the mall in Washington. Who knows where it will be next week. The point is you need to live in a place where you are secure in Jesus and you manage the fear that comes against you so that you don't end up as a Sunday morning believer hiding behind your Bible hoping the devil leaves you alone. I got news. If he finds out that's the way you're living your life, he's going to hunt you down. Because he knows you have no way to defend yourself because you don't know who you are in Jesus. So number one, just a few things to consider. Number one, when it comes to this lifestyle we live, choose faith over fear. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. People confuse faith with feelings. Faith is not a feeling. It is a decision. I am going to trust God. And when the fear comes, I am going to actively resist it. I'm not going to let it usurp authority in my life. I'm not going to let it shut me down. I'm not going to open a door to the enemy with the fear that is coming against me. Well, what's going to happen to you if this happens and what's not going to happen to you if whatever? There are some things beyond our control, okay? There are some things within our control, but some things are just going to happen the way they're going to happen no matter what. But knowing that God is there for us, just like Pastor said, the goodness of God follows us wherever we go. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Well, does he mean what he says and says what he means? If he said what he means and means what he says, you're never alone. Well, I don't, I don't feel a spirit. It doesn't matter how you feel. He's there. He said, I'll never leave you. If you could see Jesus like you see me right now, if he's standing next to me and everywhere he goes, you turn and there's Jesus Christ standing there, would that have an effect on your ability to trust God and feel secure? Just knowing you can see him there and he's got his arm around you and says, you know, I love you, I died for you, don't worry, I'll take good care of you. I am the shepherd and you're my sheep and I love you. Would that help? For most people it would, I mean, sure. But the point is he is. Even though you can't see him, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Right now in our room here today, there are thousands of angels. Just because we can't see them doesn't mean they're not here. And, you know, there are guardian angels. They have a job to do, and their job is to guard people like you and me. Managing fear. Help us understand these things, Lord, and live in light of it. In order to uh, choose faith over fear, you have to face your fears. You have to face them. Identify them and face them. They are not going to magically go away just because you see what they are and you can identify them. You have to face them and challenge them and face them down. You have to overcome them, okay? If you have a fear of flying, buy a ticket and get on an airplane. It doesn't have to be a long flight. You don't have to fly to the North Pole and back, but, you know, just get on the plane and deal with it, okay? I've, I've Some of my pastors overseas, you know, we, some of the locations where they, they are so far out into the boonies, it takes us three days to get there. And then, you know, as an example, there's one particular student of mine who is now a graduate. She's now working with her parents in the field, preaching and doing a wonderful job. She's a wonderful girl. She's about 23 years old, 22, 23-ish, like that. And, uh, you know, we have these leadership meetings in Osamas, which is our headquarters, uh, once or twice a year. And I want all of my pastors there. 
and I'll give them the dates at least six months in advance so that they have time to plan it, put it on their calendar. They know, you know, Daddy Mike, they call me Daddy Mike. If Daddy Mike wants me in Osamas on, you know, October 4, 5, and 6, it's on the calendar. I'm going to be there. And I tell them, I want you to be there on time because we start and I start teaching and the Holy Spirit starts moving. I don't want you to miss any of this because you're late. So I'm giving you the dates in advance so you have plenty of time to be there. Okay? So just a few of these sessions ago, um, this particular pastor, one of our graduates, she showed up two days late. It's a three-day meeting, and she showed up on the third day. So I pulled her aside. I said, come here. You know that I told you, I've told all of us, I've told you I wanted you here two days ago, and I gave you the dates long before this. What happened to you? I'm happy you're here. But you missed a lot already. I've taught. I'm not going back over uh, you know, ground I've already covered. And the Holy Spirit's done things, and he's not going back over ground he's covered. You missed it. Now, why were you two days late? And she said, well, Dad, she calls me Dad. Well, Dad, you know, um, uh, you know there was a, we, we left on time and plenty of time, and there was a you know, dead carcass in the road. We ran over that and busted a tire. So we had to fix that. Then we hit a chicken. You know, this is life in the Philippines. You know, we hit a chicken. The chicken was in you know, the EMT, and, you know, we were trying to help him and, you know, contacting his parents and whatever else. And the, the chicken survived, but we had to wait, you know, to get call our lawyer. You know, it, it, it's like that. And then we reached the, the pier, and we would had to cross the bay, but there was a storm, so the Coast Guard shut down the ships. We had to wait a day for the storm to dissipate, so we were – and, you know, so, you know, this is why I'm late. Expecting me to say, oh, that's okay. I said, no, 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 no. Listen, first of all, why didn't you fly? You could have driven two hours from your church to an airport, a commercial airport, boarded a plane, flown 45 minutes to another airport connected to Osamas, which is a 35-minute flight. You could have been in our compound in a matter of a half a day or given connecting times, maybe a day, instead of three and a half days out there on the road dealing with the grieving chicken and whatever else you had to deal with. Well, and the answer comes back, well, I'm afraid of flying. I said, you? You know, you're out there risking your life and limb for Jesus out there in the military hot zones and all the places you go. And, you know, you're afraid of flying. She says, yep, I'm terrified of flying. I've never been on an airplane. I just, you know, I can't handle it. I just, I said, here's what we're going to do. The next time we do one of these things, I'm buying you your ticket. You get on that airplane and you fly from where you are, from where you live to where we are. And I want you to board that plane and I want you to overcome that fear. I don't care if you throw up all the way on that jet or whatever plane they offer you, but you're going to fly, you're going to deal with this and conquer this. And so, long story short, she did, and not the throwing up part, but she did fly, and uh, she's now, she's dealt with it, she's overcome it, and now she's able to do what God tells her to do in an expeditious way. Point is, face your fears, whatever they may be. If the devil knows he can ring your bell in some particular area, you've got to address it because he'll continue to hammer away at you in that area of weakness until you show him that it's no longer an area of weakness in your life. Can anyone say amen? It's up to you. Everybody has different areas of fear. Nobody's, uh, uh, you know, we're not carbon copies of, we're not clones. So what you're dealing with that might be an issue of fear for you might not be a problem for me and vice versa. You know, everybody's different. That's why you can't judge other people. Bible says judge not. Why? Because other people are different than you are. We're all wired differently. Okay, so deal with it. You know, I go to places like Las Vegas. There's meetings we have in Las Vegas and Reno, Nevada, places that are heavily involved in gambling. I have no problem with gambling. 
But, you know, as an example, they put you in, the, the, the host church will put you in a casino hotel. Because the whole town is nothing but casinos. You know, so the hotels all have casinos at the bottom, the ground floor. So they, you know, as a guest, like you have me over at the Holiday Inn. Well, for them, they put me in, you know, the MGM Grand or whatever it is. You know, the whole bottom floor is casinos. Okay. I don't have a problem with any of that. I can go through. I could stand there for 100,000 years. It doesn't bother me at all. I could care less. You know, I like the twinkling lights, though. It's kind of nice. But the point is I don't have an issue with gambling. But someone else might have a real problem with that. Okay, I've met people. I know people that have, a, have an addiction with gambling. That's a real problem for them. So it's a fear that they have to address. It's an addiction they have to get over. Amen. I don't have it, but they do. You know, point being, not everybody's the same. But face your fears. Choose faith. It's a choice. Okay. And when you make this choice, this is the second point. Don't let fear paralyze your outreach. Like I've been referring to on several occasions through the course of the message, don't let fear paralyze you. Uh, you know, stay at home, you know, don't go out. You know, I've had people tell me, don't go down to this part of the island. Don't go to this town. Why? Because you're passing through these certain areas and a bus was bombed uh, a month ago and we know there's terrorists around. Hey, God told me to go. I'm going. Okay. I'm not going to let the fear paralyze me and prevent me from being in the right place at the right time, talking to people who need to hear about Jesus. And my work is not yet done. I'm not finished. I've got a long way to go to the end of my race. And so no devil's going to take me out. I'm not going to be presumptuous. I'm not going to be foolish. But at the same time, I am not going to let this fear or what might possibly happen paralyze my outreach. Are you listening? Good things happen when you choose to overcome your fears. Good things happen on the other side of that choice. You meet people you'd never meet. You end up doing things you'd never be doing. You end up going places you thought you'd never go. I use myself as a classic example. I am, I'm an apostle to the Philippines, but I never knew any of that when God was telling me to go for the first time. And I met my wife over there. You've heard the story before, you know, I met her there. I didn't know I would meet her there, but God knew. And my wife is perfectly suited to work with me. We've been married 33 years, and it's better now than it's ever been. We just work together. We flow together. It's a match made in heaven. But if you had not, if I had not been willing to get on an airplane with $20 left in my pocket and a one-way ticket and no way back, and I got news. When I was sitting at that departure area in the LAX airport, and, you know, the light is flashing, boarding. I mean, you know, for seven months, I'm at Rhema roaming around, you know, telling everybody where I'm going to go and I'm going to cast out demons, watch out devil, I'm coming through because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and no weapon formed against me can prosper. That's easy to do at Bible school. When everybody else around you is saying the same things and you've got teachers like Brother Hagen up there teaching you every day, that's no, 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 no issue, no challenge. But when it's you and you're alone and the plane flashing light there is boarding and everybody's getting on the jet and I've got a one-way ticket to the other side of the world and I don't even know if anybody's going to meet me there because I wrote letters and they never answered me and I got $20 and no way back to the U.S. I mean, fear like a cloud was hanging over my head. In fear and trembling, I got on that jet, man. And I'm, I mean, I was sweating bullets for 14 hours on that plane as we flew from Los Angeles to Manila. I'm looking out the window, praying in tongues, thinking, what have I done? Because, I mean, if, I, if, if nobody's there to meet me, I don't know the language. I don't know the customs. I have no recourse. I've got no ticket back and no money. 
you know, that's, that might be not so challenging if you're driving from here to Omaha, but if you're flying from Los Angeles to Manila and then south into the hot zones that I've been reading about, the military hot zones where all the Muslims are and the communist rebels and all this, and I got $20 and no way back, I'm dealing with fear big time. We landed that plane. They pulled the jetway. It didn't have, they didn't have a jetway back then. They pulled the, the stairs to the side of the jet, opened up the door, and you walked down onto the tarmac. And there were two guards, two Philippine Marines at the base of the stairs with Uzis going through all the baggage, the carry-on baggage, looking for plastic explosives and knives and bombs and guns because the Philippines at that time was under martial law. Marcos had declared martial law, martial law because of the communist rebels and the insurgency. So there were guns and tanks on the street corners. People were, soldiers were everywhere, you know, whatever. I'm flying into this with $20 and no way back. And God spoke to me in that seat as I'm sitting there looking at these two soldiers, and the fear is just palpable. I mean, you know, my heart's beating and racing within my chest. I mean, my God, my God, what am I doing here? And the Lord spoke and said, you just relax. I'll never forget it as long as I live. You're in the right place at the right time doing exactly what I'm, what I'm telling you to do. I'll take good care of you. Those words. Never forget it. Well, I met my wife two weeks later. We didn't get married for a couple of years, but I met her almost immediately. Okay, and long story short, you know, God puts you with people that you need to be put with. God hooks you up, and you are where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, and good things happen. People with money find you and start handing you money. People with favor and and, uh, clout, they start befriending you. Things that wouldn't happen if you're trying to hide behind your Bible. Okay, you got to risk something. Okay, we are living in a world where Christians need to risk things to get out there and represent Jesus. Everybody wants it all laid out in front of them. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Okay, God is commanding us and challenging us to go into uncharted territory and to confront the darkness all around us. Not in fear and trembling, but in confidence and assurance that God will take good care of us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper, he said. Oppression, fear, and terror shall come against you. He's telling us up front, it will come. But it doesn't come from me, and I'm promising to protect you no matter what comes down the road. So relax. This is basically what he's telling us. Relax and get on with the job. Which then brings me to the third point. I mean, there's many points. We won't have time to get all of these, but... Let God's peace replace the fear in your heart. Be a peaceful person. I wrote a book on it. It's out there called Divine Peace. Uh, I mean, listen, the, the devil is trying to rob you of your peace. You know, we, we have terms we didn't have when I grew up. Stress. I'm stressed out. I'm dealing with stress. You know, all this, you know, anger management, all of this stuff. Are you kidding? <laughs> anger management. Uh, the point is, you know, we're, we're dealing with, with, you know, a psychosomatic world, you know, where everything is psychoanalyzed and, you know, we've got diseases we never knew existed because, you know, the pharmaceutical companies have decided they can make money creating drugs for these diseases. And so they're going to tell us we got the disease, so we buy the drugs. Then we have to deal with the side effects. But the point is, let God's peace replace the fear. Look at John fourteen twenty seven. John fourteen twenty seven. John 14, 27, we are living in fearful, perilous times, but that's okay. It's all right. You know, take a deep breath, eat your walleye today, praise God. God's got your back. 
goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Anybody here believe that? Goodness and mercy, protection. All right, what does Jesus tell us in John 14, 27? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Hmm. So he gave us something. His peace. Notice he goes on. Not as the world gives do I give to you. See, you can't get this anywhere else. Everybody's looking for it in all the wrong places. They think they'll find it in drugs. They think they'll find it in alcohol. They think they'll find it, you know, with uh, sex. They think they'll find it with money. You, you're not, you're not going to find it anywhere else except in Jesus. He said, it's my peace. I'm giving it to you. The world cannot give it to you because it doesn't come from them. They don't know what it is, and they can't identify to it. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. What a statement. Let not your heart be troubled. Are you troubled today? Anything troubling you? Anything on the horizon that brings fear to your heart? Unknown issues, unknown territory you're, you're traveling through these days in your life that you're living? Anything out there that, uh, you know, you start thinking about it and fear starts to rise up within you? Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. And I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you. Same things come against me as well as they come against you. There's all kinds of issues where the devil tries to throw fear in my face. For all kinds of reasons. I just have to do what I'm telling you to do. I resist it. I choose not to accept it. I remember what I'm talking to you about. I remind myself. I renew my mind to the word. And the word of God keeps coming out my mouth. Just like the Bible says the word of God should be coming out of yours. Amen. See, everybody wants someone else to carry them on their back. That's not the way this works. God expects each and every Christian to learn how to stand on their own. Amen. We have pastors. We have apostles. We have prophets. We have people out there designed by God to help. But we're only helpers. We can't live your life for you any more than you can live my life for me. At the end of the day, I'm responsible for making sure that the oppression and the fear and the terror does not affect me. Does not come to my house. Does not paralyze me with inactivity because I'm afraid of what might happen. Can anyone say amen? Peace, I leave with you. Take a deep breath. Just, you know, whatever you're going through, just stop for a minute. Just take a deep breath. God loves you. And he knows where you are. He knows what's going on. Okay? He knows the situations you're dealing with. You're not informing him of things he doesn't know. This, is, this was another revelation I received early on. When I tell God things are going on in my life, it's not like he hasn't found out about it already. He already knows. Amen. So I just, you know, I need to just step back and just let God's peace take care of me, okay? Uh, Philippians chapter 4, that's another great place to go. The Bible says, the peace of God which passes all understanding guards your heart and guards your mind. Your mind, that's the battlefield, your mind. Guards your heart and it guards your mind, okay? We need to be peaceful people. Because whether you know this or not, peace is a magnet. It attracts people to Jesus. Because they see that you don't have the mess going on in your mind that is going on in theirs. Even though you're facing the same things, they, they watch and they listen. They're not going to tell you they're watching, but they are watching. People are always watching and they're listening. And they watch the way we live and they listen to what comes out of our mouth, you know. And if they see that there's a, an element of peace there, they want to know why. Because they're looking for it, like I said, in all the wrong places, and they're not finding it. So they want to know why you don't fall apart like they do. 
when they when you face the same things they face, when the tragedies come to your house and when the terror comes knocking on your door like it comes to theirs. They want to know why, and it's a witnessing tool. It's a way to reach people in the name of Jesus, okay? That's number three. And number four, don't be afraid of the coming persecution. Don't fear it. Don't be afraid of it, okay? If you've been following the news for the past maybe two to three years, you can see that even in America, Christians are being persecuted unlike they've ever been persecuted before in America, and it's not going to get any better. The only thing that's holding this country together right now is the body of Christ. Without the body of Christ, America would have been judged a long, long time ago because of the apathy and the lethargy and the apostasy that is uh, you know, the, the hallmark of this country at this present time. But because of the body of Christ and the salt and the light that we are described to be in the Bible, we hold this country together as well as the world. Imagine what's going to happen when the body of Christ is taken off the planet, how fast it's going to deteriorate and disintegrate. But what I'm saying to you here today is don't be afraid. Keep reaching out in spite of the persecution, in spite of the threats. Keep reaching out. Don't let that fear prevent you from talking to people about Jesus. Well, somebody will be offended. They will be. It's not a prophecy. It's the Bible. Okay, Jesus said, you know, if you put your hand to the plow and look back because of the tension and the pressure brought against you, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Okay, when we have meetings in the Philippines, we try our best to tell the new converts these things so that they are aware of what they're going to be facing. The good things, we talk to them about the good things first. You're born again. You're on your way to heaven. You've got the promise of uh, healing if you get sick. You've got authority. You can kick the devil off your doorstep just because you can. Uh, You know, God promises to meet your needs. No weapon formed against you can prosper. That's the good stuff. On the other side of that coin, because you're now a threat to the kingdom of darkness, there's a big target on your back that wasn't there before because now you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness and the devil's going to pay attention to you. So understand that part of it too. He's going to shoot at you. And sometimes along the way, you're going to be hit and you're going to be wounded and you will bleed. But don't worry, Jesus will bleed with you. We'll bleed with you. We'll keep moving forward under fire. Praise God. Amen. Don't be afraid of the persecution. And don't be afraid of physical death. Now, see, in America, people stare at you like, what do you mean? Well, around the world, a lot of people already face this, but it's going to come here too. It's coming to a state near you, depending upon how fast things unravel. But Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of fear. Don't be afraid of persecution. And don't be afraid of physical death. Physical death for a Christian is the gateway home. Amen. It's not to be be feared. It's to be actually uh, anticipated. As long as we're running our race the way God tells us to, we're not going to be taken off the planet prior to our arrival at the finish line. We let the devil know this. Okay, and the point is we do our part and God will do his. But at some point we're going to leave and go home. And the Bible says precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of all of his saints. He calls it precious. And Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says better is the day of death than the day of birth for the Christian. Why? Because that's our home going. That's where we get to go. Like, you know, your sister that just passed and pastor addressed it just a few minutes ago. She's with Jesus. She's running, she's jumping, she's dancing, she's clapping. She sees him face to face. She sees the angels. She sees the glory of heaven. She sees it all. She's the, you know, listen, this is why, this is why they don't ask me to do funerals. Because I'll, you know, uh, 
a death for a Christian is a marvelous, it's a home going. Yes, I get it. You know, if people leave prematurely, we miss them. And we, you know, I understand that part. I understand the grieving part and there's a place for that. But in spite of that, look through the pain and see where they are. Most of the funerals are all about us, the ones left behind. But if you actually look at where they went and, and really believe and understand where they are and, and the fact that if they had a chance to come back, they wouldn't. You know, my mother went to heaven in 2003. They asked me, the brothers and sisters and so forth, the relatives, asked me to do the funeral. So we flew back to Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I come from, and we did the funeral. And she, the body was in the casket, and all the brothers and sisters on the front row weeping and wailing, and everybody's weeping and wailing because my mother was an exceptional person, the, 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 one of the most beautiful people I've ever known. Always a smile on her face, always joy in her heart. She's just something. I'm looking forward to seeing her in heaven. Anyway, she, there, her body's in the casket. People are weeping. So my time came to share and, you know, to give the eulogy and all of that. So I got up. I said, why are all you people crying? They're staring at me like deer in the headlights, you know. Why are you people crying? I mean, listen, she's not there. That's the body she lived in. She was sick. She was in pain, but she's not sick anymore. She's in heaven with Jesus. She's where we're all wanting to go. She's in a better place. If she had a chance to come back to be with you, she'd say no. Point being, don't be afraid of it. Our death day is better than our birthday. Amen. Many, many verses. We don't have time, but praise the Lord. Okay, last point. Don't be afraid of the future. Okay? All of these points go hand in hand. But don't be afraid of the future. If you look around, there's plenty to be afraid of if you don't know Jesus. What am I going to, what's going to happen to my stocks? What's going to happen to my investment portfolio? What's going to happen to my money? Listen, you got to understand, you know, uh, when you get those little statements in the mail that say you have you know, $65,000 in your retirement account, that is paper. That is ink on a paper. You don't have $65,000 in your hand. You have a piece of paper that says you have worth $65,000 in somebody's digital account somewhere, which can be taken away like that. The stock market crashes, your money's gone. Are you listening? It's just paper. It's not actual worth. You have to understand this. You know, well, I'm worth. No, you're not. You've got pieces of paper that say you've got X amount of digital cash in the bank. And, you know, Wall Street can do things and the president can do things and a terrorist can do things to wipe all that out in a matter of 24 hours. Point being, don't be afraid of the future. God has promised he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. If we need food to eat, he'll feed us. If we need clothes to wear, he'll clothe us. Clothe us. The point is, don't be afraid of the future. It's a marvelous time to be alive and to represent Jesus. Miracles are abounding all around the planet. The power of God's flowing. If you just shut off the TV and quit listening to the people who don't know any of this, you'll be a better person for it. Shut off the television. Are you listening? Just shut it off. All the noise out there from idiots who don't know what they're talking about. I want to listen to God. I want to read the word. I want to listen to other people who believe what I believe. And that's it. After that, I don't need any other information. Amen. Praise the Lord. See, this is how you manage the fear, the oppression, the fear, the terror. It shall come, God said, but it's not going to come to us. Amen. Are you listening? Don't be afraid of the future. Look at Luke 21. We'll finish with this. Luke 21, 25. Luke. 
21 and 25. Okay, let's go there. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Among many things, Jesus talked about the signs of the times, and here's what he said in the 25th verse. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. That is a reference to confusion. That is a reference to people crying out for help and not getting any. Perplexed means I have questions with no answers. I've got problems with no solutions, and I don't know which way to turn. That's what being perplexed means, okay? The sea and the waves roaring. This is not a reference to the Atlantic Ocean. It's not a reference to the Gulf of Mexico. It's a reference to large groups of people. The sea and the waves. When it talks about those things in the Bible, it's talking about people groups. Americans, Frenchmen, Germans, you know, Jews, large people groups, ethnic groups like that, okay? People groups crying out, roaring. That means they're crying out for help and not getting any. This is the world in which we live. Look around. Tsunamis, earthquakes, tidal waves, large groups of people wiped out, tornadoes, all of this. Men's hearts, verse 26, failing them from fear. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of things which are coming on the earth. That's the fear of the future. The expectation of things coming upon the earth. That's the fear of the future. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Verse 28, look at this. Now when these things begin to happen. How many would agree they have begun? Mm -hmm. When these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. These are not times to be afraid. These are times to be excited. Amen. As long as you know who you are, as long as you know what is backing you, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. No weapon formed against us can prosper. Really meditate on these truths and start to speak them out of your mouth and face the fears, whatever they may be, that are holding you back, that have paralyzed you from when until now. Okay? And purpose in your heart that until Jesus returns for the rest of your life, you're going to be a player and not a spectator. You're going to be somebody involved in the business of changing lives in the name of Jesus. Amen? I mean, this church right now, we've got enough power and potential in this room right now to turn this city upside down, to turn this state upside down, to turn the world upside down. We sure do. Paul started with 12 men. Go back and read. 12 men. And in two years, he covered all of Asia Minor, beginning with 12 people. And the Bible says everybody heard the word in two years' time. Without the benefit of social media, without the benefit of the Internet, without the benefit of cell phones, without the benefit of computers, he did this just mouth-to-mouth, you know, face-to-face, foot traffic, foot soldiers, house-to-house, face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth, just talking to people about Jesus. It can be done. And I want to tell you, uh, the more active you are, the more God's going to work to protect you because you have a job to do and he wants you to finish the work. Amen? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the future. The devil will huff and puff, but he cannot blow your house down. Okay, next time you go to Macy's, who knows? Who knows we'll be in there trying to shoot up another Macy's, another mall, another whatever, pipe bomb, pressure cooker bomb, whatever else. They can't control it. Okay, it just takes one guy to walk in there with weapons and then the whole country goes into this panic. There's millions of people out there. 
How many millions of people live in this country? The, the armed forces, the police can't control everything. But God knows what's going on. God knows where we are. He'll take good care of us. Amen? Amen. So don't worry about it. The worry does nothing but put an ulcer in your stomach. Okay?